Good to see all of you here this evening. We've got our young people back. Uh, they were gone this morning on a retreat, and um, good to see everybody else here that was able to make it. You know, um, I, I do have a dilemma I, I want to ask you about before we get into the lesson. I, I want your uh, advice before you leave here tonight. As you know, I'm a pretty big Andy Griffith fan. Um, I really like the show. And there was an episode where Aunt B went out of town. And uh, Andy and Opie were at home alone, and they made a mess of things. But before Aunt B got back home, they cleaned up, you know, made it, you know, look really respectable. And then when Aunt B got home, she felt, well, like she didn't have a purpose. Uh, there wasn't anything for her to do, and she felt like um, maybe she's not needed. Well, Kim has been gone for a week she comes home tomorrow, and I'm trying to figure out, do I leave it the way it is now, or do I clean up before she gets home? I'm leaning toward leaving it the way it is, but um, I don't want to hurt her feelings or anything. So um, anyway, if you have some wisdom on that, maybe you can share that with me. Tonight, I want us to uh, look at the Bible and just look at some things dealing with how do we understand the Bible and why don't we sometimes? Um, we've dealt with this in Bible classes before, and maybe this is maybe more like a Bible class session, but from time to time we all need to be reminded, and maybe you've heard some of these things, but other people haven't. And so uh, it's just one of those things where, well, Peter said, you know, I stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Uh, some things we just need to go over time and time again. And um, why is it that there's so much religious division? Why is it that so many people see the Bible and they see the Bible in different ways? I mean, if the Bible is our roadmap to heaven, if it is the lamp under our feet and a light under our path, then why is there so much confusion? Why is it that we look at a passage and we come away thinking this and somebody else looks at that same passage and they go away thinking that? Is it hopeless? Is the fault God's? Um, do we just live with it? Or should we expect more? I believe that there is disagreement. Um, and I believe there are factors that play into the disagreements that exist today. Um, but I'd like for us to look at a few of those things tonight as we uh, study and realize, and, and listen, as we go through this, don't be thinking about all your friends and your neighbors and the people, uh, your, your religious uh, friends that maybe live down the street or go down the street. I'm talking about us, Okay. This doesn't just apply to them. It applies to us too. And the same things and the same mistakes that others can make in handling the Bible, we can too. So we need to be careful as we handle uh, the Word of Life. Let's begin by just pointing this or making this observation. The Bible can be understood. Now, you know, how, why do I say that? Well, if it can't be, then it's an insult to the character and the wisdom of God. Because, I mean, who, who did the Bible come from in the first place? It came from God. 
He gave it to us. And if I can't understand it, well, then whose fault is that? Somebody might say, well, it's your fault because you're human and you make mistakes and, and you don't get what he wants you to understand from time to time. And, and because of your weaknesses, you miss the message. And, and, um, but even if that's the case, didn't God know I was human? Didn't he know that I have all these frailties? So why did he give me a book that is uh, susceptible to my frailties? You see, either way you look at it, whether you want to blame God directly or indirectly, if we can't understand the Bible, it's God's fault. And I'm not willing to charge God with that. I don't think that you would be either. Second Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21 says that the Word of God is not given by any private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. What we have is the Word of God. Not just the concept of God, but the Word of God. The Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, and again, well, just if you go all the way through the chapter, that whole chapter is about inspiration how that what Paul had to say was not the words of men, it wasn't the words of men, men's wisdom. It was the Word of God. And what he had didn't come from his own mind, but it came directly from the mind of God, revealed to him by the Spirit of God. So again, it's, it's the Word of God. When we say things like, and maybe you've heard people say this, well, you can make the Bible to mean anything you want it to. That's an insult to God. Really? Would you want somebody to say that about your words? Oh, I know she said this, but who knows? You know, she may change her mind tomorrow, or it may, you can't tell from what she says whether that's right or wrong. That's an insult to the integrity of your words. You can't just make anything out of the Bible. Words do mean things, and God is the author of it. Also, it would contradict what the Bible itself says about itself. In um, John 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Well, the truth is the word of God, John 17, 17. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said you can know it. And then Paul, on one occasion, talking to the Ephesian church, he said, listen guys, stop being foolish. And understand what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5 and verse 17. It it can be understood. Paul expected them to understand it and to quit being foolish. And that passage from 2 Peter, where people often quote 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, about, you know, Peter's talking about some of the writings of Paul, and he said, Paul had some things that were hard to understand. But I want you to know that he didn't say there are a lot of things that are impossible to understand. He said there are some things that are hard to understand. There's a difference. Some things, not all things, hard to understand, not impossible to understand. So the Bible itself says you can understand it. And if we can't God made a grievous mistake in giving us this book because if he really wants us to go to heaven, if he really wants none to perish but that all should come to repentance, don't you think he would have given us something to make sure that that takes place? And if this is what he's given us and and it's not good enough to get the job done, that's an insult to the intelligence, the wisdom of God. 
Well then, if it's not God's fault, I guess it's our fault, which of course it is. But why? What, what is it about Bible study? What are we doing that um, makes us see things differently and not come to agreement on the text? And again, this isn't just the folks down the road. This is us as well. We need to guard against these very things too because we're prone to them, we're susceptible to them. And so let's look at a few things. One of the reasons we don't always agree on the Bible is because we don't consider context. I know that's fundamental, but it's so relevant. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15 and say, see, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Paul thanked God that he baptized none of them. He did say that. But in the very next verse, he says, lest someone would think that I'm baptizing in my own name. They had a problem of division there. They had a problem of preacher-itis. They had a problem of guys lining up after their favorite preachers. And Paul said, man, I am so glad that I'm not in the middle of all that. I'm glad I've only baptized a handful of people because if I had, y'all would be following after me. Like you were Peter and Apollos and others. Context is important there. Uh, Revelation Haven't you heard crazy, far-out, wild theories from the book of Revelation? I mean, we figure out what's going to happen tomorrow by reading the book of Revelation. What's going on in the Middle East? Well, that's talked about in the book of Revelation. And and do you remember in the first Gulf War in the early 90s when that thing happened? um, Man, Christian bookstores filled their shelves with Armageddon books. This is the beginning of the end. This is the fulfillment of revelation, Bible prophecy, all this. And you can buy those a dime a dozen today. They were wrong. What? How do people get this so wrong? They ignore the context. Yeah, there's some tough stuff in the book of Revelation, but I'll tell you what. If you look at the first three verses... And listen to what Jesus says about this revelation. It'll keep you from 99% of the errors that you see about the book. Turn, uh, go ahead and look at the context. Turn in Revelation chapter 1 and, and read verses 1 through 3 with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must, get this, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it. There, it's not going to read like your everyday ordinary book. This is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be signified signs and symbols. So it's going to read a little differently. By his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things he saw. Blessed is he who reads and who hears the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Twice. As you, as you begin to pick up this book and read it, twice he says, I'm talking about things that will shortly take place, things that are at hand or near, and they're things that are written in symbols and signs. If people understood that, how much difficulty would already be removed? We're not talking about, the book of Revelation isn't talking about what's going on in the Middle East right now or tomorrow or 10 years ago or 10 years from now. It was stuff about those early days. The time was at hand. 
It was a conflict between the, the Roman Empire and, and the church. And who would be victorious? It was, a, it was a real conflict for the people back then. You miss the context, you make all kind of things out of the book. Also, you can look at uh, Ecclesiastes 8. And, and like, for instance, verse 15. The book of Ecclesiastes is a unique book because it's written from this perspective. If all there is is what you see under the sun, how should a man live? So you'll find a lot of statements in the book of Ecclesiastes that are not true. But they're written from that perspective. If there is no heaven, if there is no God, if all there is is what we see under the sun, what should a man do with his life? Eat, drink, and be merry. That's not a good philosophy to live by. Just live it up. Uh, Vanity of vanities, always vanity. Really? Everything in life is just a waste of your time? No. There's such a futility in the book of Ecclesiastes that you read. It's depressing when you read it. The same thing happens to all men. You know, you're rich, you're powerful, you've gained accumulated wisdom, and, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be in the ground just like the poor fool. How futile. But don't take that as, well... There's no sense in pursuing anything excellent in life because the same thing happens to us all. You have to understand the context of the book. Why was the book written? From what perspective? So failure to understand context is one of the reasons we misunderstand the Bible. Failure to acknowledge the divisions of the Bible. Today in Bible class, we talked about the distinction between the old and the new law. Um, there are still many people today who labor under the impression that we're still bound by the old law, that the Ten Commandments are still binding. They don't understand that there has been a change in law, the law of Christ we're under today. If you don't understand that significant change in the covenants, you'll be employing a lot of things. And it's surprising that, well, maybe not because it's not convenient, But think of all the things you could bring into worship um, if you didn't understand that. Well, they did this in the Old Testament, and God seemed to be pleased with it, so why don't we today? Um, That's one of the the problems. There's also a, a failure to understand the difference in the forms of literature. When we read the Bible as if it's just, you know, a flat plane we've misunderstood because there's all kind of genre of literature in the Bible. There, there's poetry, there, there's proverbial statements, there's narrative, there's, you know, imperative commands, and they all read differently. You know, I can read Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 when I make Kim really upset, you know, if I don't clean up before tomorrow and she comes home to a house... I don't think she'll be too happy. And so here's what I'm going to do. Here's my plan. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. So when she comes home, I'm going to say, Hi, honey. And I'll just talk nice and soft, and she won't be mad at me. Uh, I don't know if that'll work. But it's in the Bible. Well, that's a proverb. That's a maxim. That's a general truth. There are exceptions to it. A soft answer turns away wrath. 
that's the best way to deal with people when they're uptight and angry. If you go firing back at them, that's just going to ramp them up even more. You see the wisdom in that, but it's not an absolute truth. It's a general truth. That's different from, you know, imperative statements like Peter when they say, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Um, that's not up for discussion there. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, uh, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he'll not depart from it. That, that's a proverb. It's not an absolute hard fast truth. So, you know, there's different types of literature. There's figurative language. You know, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he said, take this bread and eat. It's my body. And this cup is the blood. Really? Literally? You know, there are people who thought that Christians were cannibals in the first century because they didn't understand. They, they just heard bits and pieces. You know, those Christians, oh, I've heard they, they're cannibals. I mean, I heard they eat flesh and, and drink blood. Oh, man, we don't need those guys coming to our community. That's weird. You know, they, they, they miss the point of figurative language. If, you, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Literally? No, that's not the case. Or we'd be limbless and blind, all of us. And then we'd still have thoughts that we shouldn't have. It's an, it's an effort to say, by all means, bring sin to an end in your life. There's also a failure, well, let's face it, there's a failure to just be honest with the Scriptures. There are people who just won't come to the Scriptures and honestly read them. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells Titus to hold the Scriptures with integrity, to hold to doctrine with integrity. And sometimes that just isn't done. People have an agenda to pursue, they, they, and they go about pursuing that agenda. Look at Acts 17. I, I know we, we have quoted this passage, Acts 17 verse 11. Uh, the Bereans are more, more, more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that with all readiness of mind, they search the scriptures daily to see whether things are so. And we stop generally right there. But I would encourage you to keep reading verse 12. Then they believed. They searched the scriptures. They had an open mind. Then they believed. Don't come to the scripture saying, I need to find a verse that supports this. You need to come to the scriptures with an open mind saying, what does the Bible say to me? Then believe it after you've looked at what it says. Also, trying to have something new. You know, I want to be the guy on the block. I want to be somebody that everybody looks to as like, wow, what a thinker. He came up with this. Nobody saw this before, and he did. And, and, and so there are people that are driven by pride to be able to say something different that nobody heard of before that shocks them, that causes them to, to you know, take, sit back and take notice. It's a far cry from the kind of preaching 
and the respect for the Word of God that, that we should have. My, my goal as a preacher is not to shock anyone, not to try to discover some new thing that sets me apart where you, you hold me up and look at me a little bit different. Nehemiah, you go back there in Nehemiah chapter 9, and when they were going to read the Bible, you know what? The people stood up when the Bible was read, and they read for them, to them for a quarter of the day, uh, several hours of just Bible reading. And the people stood while this was being done. That's not about the preacher. That's about respect for the Word of God. A humility that says, I won't even sit while this is being read. I will stand in respect. That's a far cry from those who are trying to impress people with their knowledge. That's why... Some people don't see the Bible the same is because they've, they've looked to, to try to find something different. And then we come with a lot of assumptions. That's another reason. Baggage. We've been taught from a, wherever our upbringing was. Maybe we've had upbringing with no religious background. Maybe we've been taught um, in Bible class all sorts of things, and, and we just accept them as true. I heard them ever since I was a child. Maybe you don't go to Bible class and your only knowledge of the Bible might be Charlton Heston, you know, Ten Commandments and what happens, you know, in the movies. Uh, or the Bible miniseries that was just on that was just chock full of irresponsible, I would say, mistakes. Um, I love the concept, but I just didn't think they followed through very well. How does that happen? Do, do we do that? Well, you know, I've gone through this list before, but you know, what was, what was Esther's relationship to Mordecai? People would say he was her uncle. No, it's not what the Bible says. Esther 2 verse 7 says that they were cousins. I always thought they were uncle, uncle and niece. Read what the word says. Uh, you can go back and you can look at other illustrations. Um, who was Samson's wife? Delilah. Where, where does it say Samson and Delilah were married? It doesn't. She was probably a, a prostitute that he had um, joined himself to. And who cut Samson's hair? Delilah. It's not what the Bible says. Look at the story of Samson. Turn in your Bible to Judges if you want to. Look at chapter 16 and verse 19. While Samson was asleep in Delilah's lap, she called for a man to come in and cut his hair, and he did. She didn't cut his hair. Well, where did I get that? She's in the story, but she didn't do it. And then there's, you know, Elijah riding that chariot of fire up into heaven. The Bible doesn't say anything about Elijah getting in a chariot of fire. He went to heaven in a whirlwind. Well, where did we get that concept? Daniel being a young man when thrown into the lion's den. Daniel was an old man, maybe in his 90s when he was thrown in the lion's den. And the list can go on and on. Um, and, you know, even our perception, I mentioned the, you know, I can see Charlton Heston holding that rod up and the water's dividing and there's all this splash in the water and the fluidity of the water and stuff. Read Exodus chapter 15 and verse 8. 
and read about what Jesus or what the Lord said when the waters divided, the 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 ground dried up, and it says the waters congealed. Congealed. You mean they weren't just splashing around, just normal water? No, God did something to the water itself. He congealed the waters as they stood back. And the only thing I can think of kind of comparing it to congealing is jello. You know, uh, maybe it was kind of like that. But my image is shaped by what I saw on television, not by what the text says. And there's so many things that if you just slow down and you read for yourself and look at what the Bible says, instead of just taking what you've heard all your life or what you've seen on television or heard repeated from pulpits, if you look for yourself, you'll be amazed. And that brings me to the last point, and that just simply is this, what I've learned from this study. First of all, I've learned that I'm going to start stop saying, I don't understand how people can believe that. Have you ever said that? I don't understand how those folks down the road believe that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. I don't understand how anybody can believe that this or this and this. Yeah, I do. I, I absolutely understand. Because I've been guilty of doing the same thing. Maybe not on matters that are as important as they have made their mistakes, But I have taken things that I've heard and believed all my life, come to find out, oh, that's not what the text says. Uh, One time I was trying to prepare a sermon. This is since I was preaching. I said, well, where is that verse that says Jesus fell under the weight of the cross? I I know it's in there somewhere. And I looked, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, couldn't find it. I thought, well, okay, I'll reread it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, couldn't find it. I went back. Well, maybe it was one of those prophecies in Isaiah. And so I I looked back in Isaiah, couldn't find it. I thought, well, that verse is in there. And I did a concordance search and I looked for word search. Maybe Jesus fell under the weight of the cross. Maybe he fell a dozen, two dozen times under the weight of the cross. But I don't know. I do know that they got a man to help carry the cross, but I don't know that that's the reason for it. The text doesn't say anything about Jesus falling under the weight of the cross. But where did I get that idea? I mean, I'm preaching, and I'm sure that verse is in the Bible somewhere, and it wasn't. So I do understand how people can believe what they believe because I have been guilty of the same thing. We have to be students. We have to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Another thing that I learn is that um, I need to be patient. Not everybody who disagrees with me has an agenda. They're not all dishonest. They don't all hate God. In fact, they may love God as much as I do. And I need to be patient and understand that and treat them with kindness and respect and and teach, as Paul said in Timothy and to Timothy, with all long-suffering and doctrine. You can't just say it and then expect everybody to jump. You have to be patient with people Let them mull it over. Let them weigh it. Let them compare it to what they've heard. Let them think about it. Be patient with them while they're making their changes. I've learned that I need to be more patient with people on the outside as well as on the inside. And then finally, 
I have learned to approach Bible study with honesty and with an open heart. I can't come with an agenda. If I do, I'm going to mess up. I have to do what Paul told Titus in Titus 2 and verse 7. I want you in doctrine to be a man of integrity. I need a text to lead me wherever it takes me. And I need to abandon or embrace whatever the text says. Not what my preferences are, not what I have grown up believing all my life. Why do we believe or why do people disagree with what the Bible says, uh, maybe some of the things that we've touched on tonight uh, will be a help. It's not exhaustive. There are many more things. But what I do know is this. We need to be students of the Bible. We need to have honest, open hearts. Come to this book and read it like heaven and hell depend upon it. Because they do. Without... The proper direction, I'll never make it to heaven. This book gives it to me. And so I need to be a student. Let's commit ourselves to that. I mean, I appreciate the elders here for having Bible studies. Bible studies for all ages. Bible studies on Sunday. Bible studies on Wednesday. We have a school of preaching here where we train people, not just men who are going to preach, but it's open for anybody to enhance their knowledge of the Word of God. Man, let's take advantage of whatever we can with respect to Bible study because it's how we assure ourselves of heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, you know what the Bible says. Mark 16 and verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and there are things you need to make change in your life. Maybe you just want prayers to rededicate yourself to be a better student of the Word of God, a lifelong student. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.